Hello, this is episode 60 of the podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Day. The deacon kisses his orarian, a long, narrow band, and hangs it over his left shoulder. The orarian is the symbol of the office of the deacon. With it, the deacon gives the sign for the commencement of every part of the church service, for the worshipers to pray, the choir to sing, the priest to begin his duties, and for the deacon himself to have the swiftness of the angels and their readiness to serve. The office of deacon corresponds to that of the angels in heaven. According to the interpretation of St. John Christostom, this narrow band on the deacon's shoulder fluttering to and fro like a wing symbolizes the flying of the angels. Next, the deacon puts on cuffs, fastened firmly about the wrist so as to allow the band's greater freedom of movement and dexterity during the sacred office. While putting them on, he meditates on the all-creative and omnipresent power of God. The right cuff, he recites, Thy right hand, O Lord, is glorified in strength. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath shattered enemies, and in the multitude of thy glory hast thou ground down thy adversaries. Exodus 15, 6, 7. As he puts on the left cuff, he reflects that he is the work of God's hands, and asks his creator to direct him with his guidance from above, saying, The hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding, and I will learn thy commandments. Psalm 119, 73. The priest vests in a similar manner. First he blesses his decarion, and puts it on while reciting the same words the deacon recited. Then instead of a simple plain orarian on one shoulder, he puts on a double orarian that covers both shoulders and goes round the neck, joining in the front and reaching the hem of his clothes, indicating this union, the twofold nature of his office, that of priest and deacon. Either die in struggle or win with God. There is no other road. St. Joseph has a cast. When one is patient, during trials and tribulations, God will send him the best solutions for his problems. St. Aesios, the Athena. And that was three examples of the, not only the evident patriarchal nature of God's church and his saints, but a key look into a quality that any true Orthodox man has, and that is the quality of anti-fragility. For those of you who are unfamiliar, who have not heard me drone about this concept either on Instagram or Substack or even this podcast, you will understand that anti-fragile is a term coined by Lebanese author Nassim Taleb. He posited that while there are words that are resistant to pressure and randomness and therefore not fragile, like robust or tough, that the true opposite of fragile has no English word, it has no name in the English lexicon. So he just simply called it anti-fragile, meaning getting stronger with pressure and getting stronger with randomness. And if one is truly faithful to God, especially as a man, his faith will be anti-fragile, meaning his faith will not be based on the given circumstances around him. He will pray to God with patience, and through that patience during these trials and tribulations, as St. Paisios the Athenite said, God will send him the best solutions for his problems. Nothing could possibly be more anti-fragile. And with me today, uh, discussing 
orthodoxy, masculinity, and anti-fragility is my brother in Christ, recently baptized, Devin Madrano. You know him by nature, Pill, but we in the Orthodox Church call him Mercurius. How are you, brother? I'm wonderful, man. How about yourself? I'm great, man. Great. This is, uh, this is really exciting, man. Um, you know, the last time you and I talked, it was in person uh, with Wilhelm and Christian, mm-hmm. um, but neither of us were baptized yet. Um, you were a catechumen. I wasn't even a catechumen yet. Uh, now here we are, you know, after, well, after summer's in, um, well into, into autumn, you and I are both baptized, and I think probably have a much better grounding to talk about this now, like something that we kind of knew inherently but couldn't really speak about because we weren't on the other side of baptism, but now we are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I didn't feel qualified to really talk about orthodoxy because I was a catechumen. And even now, um, there's still so much to learn. And it's, it's, it's crazy how vast and deep the faith is. I remember I was talking to the priest's wife here at St. James, which is the local Antioch church that I uh, spend like half my time at. And the other half is my home parish, which is a road court parish in Oklahoma City. But I was talking to his wife, Susan, and she was telling me that cause she's a, uh, she's a convert as well, but they've obviously been converted much longer than you or I have. And she was saying that 15 years in orthodoxy and she's still learning something new every day. There's there's no end to it. There's no like you don't hit the bottom of orthodoxy. There's always something else. There's always another layer, a deeper layer as you go into faith. And so. That's why orthodoxy can claim to have the wholeness of truth because there's no getting to the end of it. Not in this lifetime, probably not in a hundred lifetimes. Absolutely. I mean, I would, I would say even the saints would agree with that. Like, even the greatest theologians, the greatest theologian saints, you know, St. Basil the Great, um, you know, well-learned um, saints like St. Saint John Maximovich, he, 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 he went to law school, beforehand he came from a very wealthy family and went to seminary he's clearly incredibly red if you read anything about him he didn't sleep very much either he would fall asleep in chairs for three hours at a time and he just had this tireless work ethic mm-hmm. and he had he was kid the gift of clairvoyance um performed many miracles but i'm sure even he would say like i i don't clue like not, not that he doesn't have a clue mm-hmm. he clearly had like a certain authority that went about him when he became a bishop um mm-hmm. And, you know, both in, Shang- in Shanghai, Paris, and San Francisco. But you can tell, like, just with the reverence and humility with which he spoke, he understood that he hasn't even, like, become remotely close to the border, like, north, south, east, west, up, down. Because when you think about it, if it's God's church and God has an infinite kingdom, there isn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um... It, the, the the vastness is it's it's both providing man with like the mystery that he craves as someone who's bound to earth mm-hmm. and it also provides i mean it provides a comfort too because it's like wow okay i don't, I don't know if you felt this when you're baptized a lot of people have different experiences when you're when you're baptized but like mm-hmm. being you know I remember upon being baptized Orthodox, like I felt like I was invited into this church body, and I was actually just like a piece of it. Is that is that kind of hit on the nose for you? Yeah. Um, well, okay. So you're right that everyone 
everyone experiences their baptism differently. So I didn't feel that when I was baptized, but that doesn't mean that my baptism still wasn't a transcendental experience for me because it was like I did feel I did feel cleansed and I felt a sense of peace wash over me that the best way I could sum it up was that I had a tightly wound stress in me or attention in me that I wasn't aware of until I came out of the water and the relief was so great that I was actually like I felt fatigued at, at the end of it which was odd because before that I had a lot of energy and excitement because I was anticipating my baptism I had waited so long and it, it exercised a lot of patience to get there from the time that I was catechized back in January mm -hmm. but I did experience things like that before I got baptized when I was inquiring in orthodoxy just spending time in liturgy service attending Pascha service and then I felt uh, some moments like that afterwards like some moments taking the Eucharist for example where I would feel something more transcendental and not that I'm in this to chase euphoric sensations mm. or things like that. that that's I think it's a very dangerous trap that people get into when they're when they're trying to seek God or try to seek some experience what they're really wanting is like some type of ecstasy or dopamine rush but there's definitely things that I've experienced since then that could only be described as divine so I'll give you an example so my saint is Saint Mercurius as you know and I have an icon of him in my little um, icon corner and so I remember I was praying one night before bed and I was saying my prayers to him asking him to intercede for me and at that moment I looked at his icon and and I've never experienced this before with an icon, but I could literally feel him staring at me. Like there was this palpable tension mm -hmm. where if like, I swear, like at that moment, it was like he was in that icon, like piercing through my soul. And, you know, like there's, there's those little moments like that. And I'm like, I'm never expecting them, which is the best thing, like the best thing ever. And it's just a reminder that you know, the saints are alive up in heaven. They are looking out for us. They are interceding for us if our prayers are sincere and we're asking for the right things. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Not, not only that, too, like, just the way your patron saint chooses you. Like, I heard mm -hmm. stories about it. And, you know, I, I know some people are, like, born with, you know, they're, they're kind of sort of born in orthodoxy and... Mm -hmm. They're raised with names that are of saints, and it's just expected, um, you know, that be the patron saint. So it's like, I feel like this is something that is pretty amazing for converts, you know, mm -hmm. because if you're, you know, if you're, if you're baptized a baby in the church, it's kind of, it's kind of it, you know. And for the Serbs, too, I know they have a patron saint for the family. I was talking to our favorite meme, meme lord. Um, mm -hmm. Patriarch Augustine, Augustine, uh, Orthoholicism on Instagram. Um, yeah, Serbians have patron saints for the family, but like it seems something pretty special, special for converts that like a patron saint would sort of merge and choose you. Um, I feel like that itself is one of the great mysteries. Mm -hmm. um, I remember too, um, and I mentioned this on previous episodes of the podcast now, but. Um, well, I was about a month out from baptism. Like, it was kind of science sealed and delivered that St. George would be my patron saint. And, like, 
out of nowhere, like St. Constantine, like himself known to me. And I was like, that's weird. I, I, I didn't, he wasn't a saint that I like gave a second thought, to be honest to. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm being honest about it, rather. Um, you know, the only ones that were like a potential threat to be a different patron saint um, for me were, um, you know, Saint, Saint Christopher, mm-hmm. um, the first green martyr, Saint Moses of Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. I just found his story just absolutely incredible. Um, Saint Constantine sort of like emerged, and you know, Victoria and I were sitting in the parking lot after liturgy, and I was just like kind of forcing the issue, and I said, "Rebaptized you know, in a month, you know, take Saint George as my patron saint." And she's like, "You," sh-. and I said it, and it didn't. For the first time, I felt like it wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And she was like, are you sure about that? And I said, no. No. Um, and, you know, I spoke to my then spiritual father about this, and he says, you know, this has happened a lot, um, you know, for converts, you know, children who haven't been born in the Orthodox, uh, people who haven't been, you know, just babies baptized into the mm-hmm. Orthodox Church or you know, people who don't have like a saintly name and therefore they'll just like take that name. Mm-hmm. Um, that a saint will make itself known. He it says, I do not have, you know, a name that is um, you know, is a saintly name and I, it's very difficult for me to choose a patron saint but mine works to me. And he says, this sounds, you know, very, very similar, what's going on, because, did you research Constantine at all? And I said, no, no, it, so it just emerged, so yeah, like, this is, <laughs> Arthur, this is the Holy Spirit, this is the voice, mm-hmm. I think this is your saint. And he said, well, let's look at your life, too. Um, and we just drew a bunch of parallels to the things Constantine went through, what I've been going through now, um, and it made all the sense in the world. And I remember it too, telling you that, and you had a similar story if you want to share with us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. It is, it's crazy when I think of St. Mercurius. And I actually did a whole bunch, I did some proper deep research on him because I was uh, this last week because I'm helping put together this university chapter here at OK State called the OCF, which stands for Orthodox Christian Fellowship. Which is it's a it's a na- it's a nationwide club that has student chapters on campus, and what it provides is uh, a social space for Orthodox students to um, fellowship together. So that because I mean, look, university is not for the religious; it, it's not for the devout. It's very secular, of course, and that's a uh, we've we've gone into that before. So I don't need to get into that. And anyone who listens to your podcast understands this already. So you know, I'm just preaching to the choir here. But I'm I'm going to be presenting my saint at our meeting next week, and so I was having trouble finding anything about him really because he's not like he doesn't have his own activist, for example. He's not, um, and he never wrote any um, Orthodox literature. And the reason for that is because he was martyred at age 25, and he was in the Roman army. Um, but the parallels that I, when I finally actually found some like, like his whole life story, the parallels between his life and my life are pretty shocking. Now, thankfully, I haven't been martyred for my faith, and God willing, I won't be. But as I was reading about his life, um, there are some there are some similar parallels between us. And so one of them, and probably the most obvious one, is that he was a soldier in the army, and so was I. 
And um, I would say, however, he definitely had a lot better military credentials than I ever did. He was a legitimate Roman hero because he had fought back the Berber invasion and was also gifted a divine sword by the Archangel uh, St. Michael. And But he ended up being persecuted for his faith while he was still in the army, and that's what actually led to his martyrdom. And even though I didn't convert to Christianity while I was in the army, I converted to Islam, I still faced persecution for my faith from my chain of command who were fond of me before that but then afterwards um, they they just turned on me and so I thought that was a pretty crazy parallel wow wow yeah how, how did you how did you so I mean you had a pretty similar story too that like you know St. Christopher you're like yeah shows my patron saint done yeah, he was very appealing to me because he's he's a very physical saint because of his size and his strength and and the fact that he was trying to use it for good. Like you said, he was the first saint to enact green martyrdom, which is fasting and prayer through labor. And so he was carrying people across the river, and I thought to myself, wow, like, he... He resonates with me because I come from a blue-collar background where a lot of a man's value is by the work of his hands and what he can physically provide through toil. And so that's why he appealed to me was because he was using his strength for good and a lot of, especially nowadays, my fitness is centered around, okay, well, what can I do for my community and with my physical gifts because I'm a fit guy, but it's not just for vanity or, or just for the gym or pulling PRs. But he, like, I did my research on him, and, and he was, again, he was very compelling, and there was, I felt like some resonance with him, like some relation to him, but St. Macarius just kept popping up in these other stories regarding other saints, and he was always a close second. Like, the moment that I found out about him, because one of my Orthodox friends at St. Benedict's had shared his story, he was always a close second, and he was always kind of there in the back of my mind, like, man, this guy's cool. But I didn't want to choose him based on his coolness factor because I thought that that was shallow and superficial, and that's not what orthodoxy is. Orthodoxy is the opposite of shallow and superficial. Um, but when he kept popping up and St. Christopher wasn't really popping up outside of just my own interest in him, that's what, that's how I settled on that decision, and I haven't seen any clues since then that I've made the wrong decision. I wouldn't. The funny thing is, too, like, let's say you, like, allegedly chose the wrong patron saint. It's like, these are saints that are interceding from heaven. Like, you, like, let's say you purposely, like, you're some, I don't know, just complete imbecile rebel who's just like, I'm going to choose this patron saint instead. Ha! Mm -hmm. ah, be really silly. Um, these are saints who are interceding from heaven. And, and, and not only that, like, it won't just be your patron saint interceding for you. Um, I mean, for me personally, like, my walk of faith, it was, like, the prayers of St. John Maximovich mm -hmm. are, like, the most, probably the most instrumental prayers in my walk of faith, by mm -hmm. far. Um, I repented, and, I mean, I was never a catechumen, right, but I was a, a very disciplined, serious inquirer who stepped away, and I returned in his cathedral in San Francisco where he's like you can see his remains that have not decomposed mm -hmm. in a glass case that have been there since 1966 I have to pay him a, I have to pay him a visit yeah you have to come in 
Yeah, I know that running joke. There's two things I never do: uh, take my meds and uh, move to California. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, move there, but I would definitely <laughs> visit because I have friends there, and I do want to see that cathedral, and I do want to see his remains. Yeah, it's it's my favorite place in the world by far, obviously. And um, you know, I remember when I repented in that for for leaving the inquiry and was planning, I mean, I was planning on being a catechumen in that church before a series of events drove me out of California, thanks to the handiwork of Gavin Newsom. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I venerated his remains. It wasn't even his icon, his remains. And I literally, to this day, like, I remember this to the day that I die, I remember I felt like when I stepped out of a cathedral, like, my entire life, like, shifted massive way and everything got a lot more clear out it's like, okay um and when it came to getting um you know getting to the church i'm at now or the church i was baptized at rather the way victoria and i found that was like through stumbling you know through stumbling upon it with the church of the same name and i remember um and that was victoria's first um liturgy and I remember right before our baptisms too, like I venerated the icon of St. John Maximovich, and there's a very big icon there, and, and before and after our baptism. And I just, I fully understood that from the moment that I repented in his cathedral to the moment that Victoria and I were baptized together on Sunday, like his prayers were like helping facilitate that in a massive way. So there are a lot of people too, who's not just a patron saint, um, you know, many other saints um, will intercede for you, and, and, and saints have different, I don't want to call them jurisdictions of intercessions, but so, mm-hmm. um, St. Christopher, like, is, is, is the patron saint of travelers, too, so if you're traveling, you know, mm-hmm. St. Christopher, pray for us in these travels, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of thing. You know, that great creator on Instagram, um, Wholeness of, you know, her patron saint is, um, is Olga, right, mm-hmm. St. Olga. But she's especially filled with prayers of Saint Zenia. So it's mm-hmm. um, it's 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 interesting, and it's it's like you said before, it's boundless. Um, and you know, even so, even if you chose the saint that you know the quote unquote wrong saint, you're still gonna have like this saint who's in heaven who lived this you know incredible walk of Christ before being um, in the kingdom of God, and. You know, you never struck me as someone who was ever going to pick a saint out of vanity, and I don't think that there was any other saint that you were going to take. Like the more I read about Mercurius, the, you know, the more I know about know about you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty interesting too, like the dynamic of the Roman Empire, right? Um, mm-hmm. With with the faith, because. You know, there are a lot of sort of political commentators and cultural commentators and content creators and such. You know, some are talking about Christian nationalism, you know, for some people saying like, oh, it makes perfect sense, you know. And some people are saying like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all because you wouldn't have nations, you know, in rooted in ethnicity. You wouldn't have these sort of nations that um, can be Christian because Christian is such a, Christianity is such a, how do I put this? 
to say because it's such like an accepting religion. It, it takes any man who will follow him. And I was just like, sure. Um, you know, there was in in the early church the norm for Christians was to be martyred. Absolutely. Like you just like if the majority were not Christian, the majority were pagans. Right. And Saint George was martyred. Um, St. Mercurius was martyred. Um, there are so many martyrs in the first 200 years of the church, especially. And it's, it's always very interesting to me, though, that Rome had these series of people who were being martyred until St. Constantine, the Edict of Milan, you know, made Rome a Christian-friendly nation, later a Christian nation. Um, and suddenly the most powerful nation in the world, the nation that helped, yeah, I mean, there are many factors that crucified Christ, but Pontius Pilate is the one who put him on the cross, so it's mm -hmm. Roman decree. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's interesting to me how, like, this nation, a nation that goes to war with other nations, um, is suddenly Christian, right? It's suddenly this Christian superpower. Versus being surrounded by, like, a series of pagan nations, whether it be in, like, Gaul or North Africa or further east. Right, and, you know, they always had the habit of just adding, like, whichever place that they would conquer next, such as Gaul, for example, rather than just getting rid of their gods, like their pagan gods that whoever the Gauls were worshipping, they would just add them to their ever-growing pantheon of pagan gods. Yeah, it's... It, it, well, sometimes they, they'll... I, I know in the case of the Roman Empire, and I know in the case with other... Um, sort of with other factors of conversion, that one of the few things, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know how true this is in the early church, you know, pre-schism, before mm -hmm. uh, the Catholics broke off from the rest. But I know that in the early church... I don't know about the early church, but I know in like when it was the Orthodox Church, like especially when we're talking about conversions in America, um, you know, Orthodox, Protestant, Catholic, you know, the only one of the three that has zero record of forcible conversion is Orthodox. Um, yeah. There's there's like clear like erosion of of Native American culture, both in North and South America, by the hand mm -hmm. of. Catholic missionaries, and I'm, I'm not saying this is like a blanket policy, I'm sure there were, sure. you know, many well-meaning, you know, missionaries that were a lot less forceful, um, and we know that, you know, especially where you're living now in Oklahoma, you know, back in the day, re-education um, camps for Native Americans on how to be, you know, um, sort of domesticated Americans, meaning, and this is when America was a purely white nation, um, how to be white, basically. You know, how right. to be European. And in that instance, the faith happened to be, well, this is how you be Protestant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, whereas you see the, the conversions by the hand of people like St. Herman of Alaska, they notice that the, the Alaska natives, particularly the Aleutians, had like a noticeably reverent culture. It just had mm -hmm. pagan gods in the middle. They said, mm -hmm. keep your culture. Keep all of that. Just put Christ at its center. And so... You can go to Alaska now, and there's like an Aleutian Orthodox Church. They're like, yeah, we have all the same customs. We have no cultural amnesia due to the destruction of a foreign invader. Um, we just have the one true universal faith. Um, and our culture is just sort of downstream from that, which is, I think is, 
I think it's a powerful lesson that I think a lot of people in the West need to, to learn because most people are kind of worried about like, well, I'm not Russian or Greek. How do I be Orthodox? It's like that's completely missing the point. I agree with that because Orthodoxy, when I compare them side by side with Catholicism and how they expanded into territories where they didn't originally inhabit, like what you just explained, like colonialism, whether it was like the Protestants, such as the Puritans or the Catholics or the Mormons, the Mormon, like a lot of people don't know about Mormon history, but like the Mormons were doing the same exact things and they weren't very nice to the natives either, whether it was Utah or Saskatchewan up in Canada, they committed numerous crimes against crimes against humanity against indigenous tribes um theirs was always a conquest of force whereas orthodoxy like saint herman of alaska is a perfect example his was more of a conquest of the spirit which meant no force no threats no i have to wipe out what i view as your barbaric inferior culture and therefore you are all inferior and less than me you know, like which which was a very Roman mindset to have, and I think mm-hmm. that's where Catholicism has that has that issue with their very complicated history of conquest. But Orthodoxy never yeah. had that because we didn't like we didn't we didn't need it. We had the wholeness of truth. That was enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I think with the caveat too, like because knowing like the you know the Roman nation was pre-schism right so and the 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 precursors of the schism that really were like started in the year 500 leading up to 1054 you know most of europe used to speak most of the mediterranean region used to speak greek and latin Mm -hmm. Um, but as the byzantine empire sort of you know lost its western possessions that's when the schism really started to like take shape in terms of external factors um but you know, the early Roman you know, Christian nation at that point, I mean, Constantine, through this sign, conquer, you know, through the cross, conquer. And when we see, like, I mean, yeah, there, we see the late Roman Empire, right? <laughs> the, the, the cultural degeneracy that we're kind of seeing in this stage of the United States. Yeah, honest. talk about a parallel. Yeah, it's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit unnerving. Different, mm-hmm. there, are, there are different sets of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, between Rome and the United States, but that is a definite parallel. But um, at least in the time of Constantine and, and the sort of years after that, that Rome is like, okay, if we if we take a look at the way Rome's organized, it's inherently, quote-unquote, civilized, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, with a few exceptions, you know, like, I'm, I'm not getting into, guys, the, you know, the pagan, you know, Nero era or, mm-hmm. you know, Caesar, uh, Julius Caesar and uh and brutus and uh what was his face uh, his, his great rival uh, mark anthony yeah yeah mark anthony one, one other one um but i'm not i'm not getting into the backstabby pagan mm-hmm. um rome you're not you weren't going to see people just like you know go out in the middle of the streets and kill each other like it was a civilized nation mm-hmm. these weren't these weren't like sort of the tribal you know for better for worse might makes right you know, of the Germanic tribes, mm-hmm. and, you know, even, you know, in Hadrian's Wall, they built Hadrian's Wall, but the Scots are just savages, you know, we're not dealing with all that, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're done, like, you can, you can have the rest mm-hmm. of, the, of, of Britain, but, you know, so, like, when you, when you see, it's, it's an interesting dynamic when Rome becomes Christian, right, and 
you you have you have warring nations around you who are trying to pick at you, then suddenly become this less oppressive, you know, offensive empire that that built its empire on 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 you know conquest and blood. You're having this empire that is now suddenly like a stalwart defensive effort that is trying to maintain civility within its confines against a godless horde, a series of godless hordes in every single direction, whether it's like North Africa, um, you know, the German, like Northern Europe, uh, in the Middle East. So it's, it's interesting, like that switch. So it's like suddenly on a macro scale, this is indeed a Christian nation. Like just like the Byzantine empire was a Christian nation. Um, but I think that's, that's sort of going on the macro scale as opposed to the micro scale. I think you and I have noticed too, you know, getting into the real meat of the subject of this podcast, um, that, and there are plenty of examples in the lives of the saints, there's plenty of examples of of people that you and I personally both know today Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, when you're really orthodox, and when I say orthodox, I mean you carry the orthodox faith, but you're orthodox first, and you're sort of Western second, especially in this 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 age of the West, where the Western man is inherently weak and domesticated. Um, you're you're orth- both orthodox and anti-fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure you and I know orthodox men who um, couldn't fully defend themselves. But when right. we start to like look at if you're if you're not a monastic, right? Mm-hmm. Being a monastic is a very different life. It's it's the greater of the two mysteries, you know, monasticism and marriage. Mm-hmm. You have a very masculine dynamic, which is being singular. It's like I'm singularly, um, you know, someone who is employed, deployed to pray for the world. Mm-hmm. Like that is pretty much a singular profession of a monastic but if you're not a monastic you can't just be a single dj but that's not a thing right um, you have to be a householder but you're tasked with protecting and providing yet a lot of people a lot of men follow fall short in a lot of ways even in the orthodox faith um i mean we're all human Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not saying, like, there's some, like, spreadsheet standard that I need to be mm-hmm. applying to everyone, like, like a eugenicist. Right. But, um, but, you know, I think maybe this is, this is a good time to get into the fact that um, I think there are some things that maybe, excuse me, Western men who are getting into orthodoxy, they might need to relearn within a Christian context or learn for the first time. Um, what it means to be anti-fragile, what it means to be a provider and a protector, because it's not just a financial provider, that's a bit easy, especially if you're in something like tech, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, but yeah. you, have, yeah. you have to provide in all sorts of other ways, um, and and you have to be able to protect your family. So mm-hmm. what, what are your sort of crash course thoughts on this? So um, I, I do see a fair amount of men in orthodoxy and I'm not talking about the guys who are seriously prospecting into monasticism because I do have a handful of good friends of mine from here in Oklahoma who were baptized Orthodox and they're going the monastic route. Um, and, th- and those guys are 
the ones that I'm referring to, those men are objectively masculine. Like they're they're healthy, they're robust, they're in good shape, and and they're not like gym rats or meatheads or anything. But they definitely watch their diet, meaning that they're not indulging in gluttony, for example. Um, but then I see a lot of guys who they're not going to go the monastic route because they weren't gifted with celibacy, and so God, you know, from what I can see, God built them to be future husbands and fathers. Um, but they don't have that hard to kill mentality, which is what I would call our, like yours and our mindset. We have a very martial mentality of how we go about life and the understanding of that the world is ruled by Satan because God allows that. And that's why we have to be in the world and not of it. And so they don't, I, I feel like there's a cognitive dissonance in these men where they don't really understand the darkness of the world and how it has many facets and the visceral dangers that they they're in this society in the united states which you know compared to a place like liberia or somalia is clearly a lot safer at least looking at it from a surface view but all you have to do is go on a reservation or go to the wrong part of houston or dallas or oakland and suddenly you're in third world conditions where it is might makes right. And guess what? You're not the biggest chimp on the block. And if you don't have an anti-fragile, hard to kill modus operandi, you're putting yourself in peril. And what's even worse is those guys who, again, they have this cognitive dissonance. So they don't have an understanding of themselves or the need for initiation into manhood. They think that they're men by just simply existing and reaching a certain age and being able to buy alcohol and tobacco and whatnot. Um, so what's bad about that is when they get like a girlfriend or they start courting for marriage. And then I think to myself, well, okay, you are checking certain boxes such as you're financially stable and you have a driver's license and you're not a lawbreaker, you know, you're not a troublemaker. So that's really good. You attend liturgy faithfully. That's good. And you, you're striving towards holiness. However, if you don't have this primordial masculine frame about yourself where you're consistently striving every week in voluntary discomfort to strengthen your body and harden your mind, then if you get put in what I call one of those moments of truth where you can't talk your way out of a violent situation or walk away or worse, that violent individual has grabbed your woman, what are you going to do? Because the average police call takes 10 minutes. And I can tell you from going on deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan, everything can happen in 10 minutes or less, everything. And so um, that's why I'm always ranting on Instagram about you need to be training martial arts. You need to be training with knives. You need to be training with firearms. It's like our, our uh, associate, the Invincible Way says, you have to train everything. And he's right, you have to train everything. And it's not about becoming the next world champion judoka or boxer or black belt martial arts. It's about doing what you can with what you have. And I think that every man can set aside time not only to have a serious strength and conditioning program, but also even if it's just two classes a week, if they're doing that consistently, that skill set accumulates. If they're training a legitimate striking art like Muay Thai, which is the one that I'm always going to promote the best because it's the most complete striking system in the world. But they need, even if it's just boxing, it's like if you're consistently training boxing, 
you're well ahead of the average guy, including the average thug who probably doesn't have that type of training. The edge that the thug has is that he has meanness on his side. And yeah. so I wish that these guys would understand this. And, and, and it's because that they were raised in an environment of comfort and they've never been hit in the face before. Mm. Whereas you grew up in rough parts in Oakland and New York City and you started training Muay Thai and so you always had that inside you. And as for me, I grew up getting bullied because I was typically one of the smaller kids with a lot of social anxiety and it was usually an older kid or a bigger kid or one kid and two of his buddies and so it's like I you know, I had to become tough. And these guys didn't have that background. They grew up soft, and but still, there's always voluntary discomfort to be found that will give them that necessary edge. Because if these guys can't defend themselves, and it's not always about, well, can you defend yourself against another man? What about being able to say no to your future spouse when she's being hysterical? And she needs to have limits placed on her because she's at the limit of her emotions. Absolutely. Well, I mean, agreed across the board. There's a lot to unpack there. Mm -hmm. First of all, I mean, your point about, you know, most thugs aren't trained. Because it's funny, like, if you're, if you're a thug and, like, you get into a boxing gym and you get really good, you stop doing that. You just become a boxer. Exactly. You found a way <laughs> out. You found a way out. Yeah. Like, look like, at Mike Tyson. I, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's pretty funny, too. Like, I see... I see, um... I would see fights in Oakland break out, you know, just downtown. And, you know, a quick aside, like, I always get a gig going, like, when both of them kind of, like, don't want to fight, and they'll start saying things like, You know where I'm from? I'm from St. Louis East! And it's just like, okay, like, who cares? Fight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I was, I was joke like, yeah, I'm from like let's just say like a really like rich neighborhood. Like I'm from the Upper East Side, Manhattan. You're like, wait, what? Like, I'm from um, Danbury, Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Nantucket Island, bro. And I'm like, what? Well, hey guys, like something's not right here. Um, but you see, you see, like you see them fight. They don't know how to fight. They're like throwing haymakers. It's so funny. Yeah, it's, it just becomes rock and sock and robots, and they're just trying to see who lands first. Yeah, it's, it's actually sad. Mm -hmm. um, most guys who know how to fight, unless they're complete degenerates, are not starting fights at bars. They're mm -hmm. not starting fights like at, at, at these stupid places, right? So you train like, you know, a consistent three or four days a week baseline level of martial arts. You'll be able to protect your, your family. You're going to protect your woman. Okay, now there's a gun involved. All right, well, maybe you should carry a piece if you know you're in a bad part of town. Exactly. Hey, there's a nice knife involved. Okay, well, you should carry a piece if you're bad, in a yep. bad part of town because then they brought a knife to a gunfight. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, it's it's not as hard. Like, we're, we're, we're displaying a very, very grim reality. Mm -hmm. Right. We're displaying the reality of a fallen world. Right, where... Um, might might does make right murder and rape happen all the time mm -hmm. in different parts of the world it's very sad um, and that could be a reality if you do not know how to defend yourself and your family mm -hmm. yeah, imagine imagine your yeah you, someone someone rapes your woman what, what if they kidnap your children too 
Oh man, that, you want to talk about the ultimate nightmare scenario, like that one makes my stomach ball up, just thinking about what could happen to my future wife and kids, especially my kids. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, Jocko talks about this a lot, like Jocko, like people ask me, Jocko, what motivates you to get up at 4.30 and go train? Like you did, you were like, you, like if you were still in the SEAL teams. Evil is always moving. <laughs> yeah, he's right. He's right. Um, he's, he, he's seen. He's been privy to an evil that most men can't fathom. Exactly. He knows what's up. Yeah. He knows. He knows that you know you wake up in the morning and um, he knows you wake up in the morning and like he knows how bad it can get. Mm-hmm. He knows about it. Get. A lot of people in this, you know, part of the world in the West, right? You know, people you and I rub shoulders with saying, like, the nation's gonna collapse. I don't think that's gonna happen. Like, if I'm being, like, completely objective, I just don't think it's gonna happen. Am I gonna be prepared for it anyway? Yes. Exactly. Yes, it's not a binary thing. People think it's, like, either or. It's, like, you either accept that, like, the apocalypse is gonna happen at any given moment and if you don't think that then you're somehow weak and it's like no it's 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 a cliche saying but it's literally you pray for the worst but you prepare or you pray for the best but you prepare for the worst absolutely absolutely and you and you pray for protection for you and your family and mm-hmm. so like you know and then there's there's also just sort of like common sense too like just having wherewithal with some guys who are you know born and raised and safe small town usa won't understand but it's just like you don't go to certain places at night if you're new to the city you know you don't you don't walk around like i don't know um the south side of chicago you don't walk around west oakland you don't walk around tenderloin san francisco you don't walk around you know east new york and brooklyn at night you just don't you don't take your family there right so there's also just like a level of wherewithal like where to go and what to do um, and how to not um, shoot off your mouth and not let your wife too like the other day um, it was a couple months ago but you know Victoria and I are in a bad part of town and uh, like I saw like similar environment in, like West Oakland or East or even worse deep East Oakland and like I saw that there was this one guy who was just sort of like parked in the gas station and she was like honk Honk. And I was just like, no, 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 <laughs> no, uh, I don't have a piece on me. All these yeah. people, like at least two or three of these people have a piece on them. You know, I mm. look like a scary, you know, racially ambiguous. Most people think I'm like, I don't know, like Middle Eastern or Eastern European, like some kind uh-huh. of, you know, Cossack or Dagestani, Chechen, <laughs> what have you. And I, I right. have a face that looks like it can kill people. Like, I look like I can kill people. Like, I've had yeah, that you face. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Even, even before, like, I could even do Muay Thai, basically. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I'm not showing up to a gunfight with hands. I'm not showing exactly. up to a gunfight with shins. And I was just like, no, that guy was, like, waiting potentially for a drug deal. And you don't honk. You just wait. You don't right. rock the boat. She's just like, really? I'm like, yeah. And she's not and she's not from that part of town. She's mm-hmm. never lived in a place like West Oakland. She's never lived in a place like Brooklyn. Right. Um, so, you know, you, and, and through your point, too, it's like, 
you need to manage the emotions of your of your wife, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to let the, her emotions run things. You're going to listen to her needs, right? And you need to listen. And this this these things go hand in hand too. You need to listen to her needs and be able to facilitate providing for those needs. Mm-hmm. But you also need to be like, okay, actually, this is unnecessary. This is unreasonable, right. and we're not doing this because right. now we're just catering to your emotions, and this makes no sense. And there's no structure. And I'm supposed to provide structure because I'm a man. So, exactly. um, it's you. You painted, yeah. So, for those of you who are like wondering what to do, right? Um, first of all, in order to practice martial arts, you need to be fit, and you know to put the anti-fragile fitness standard of fitness. Um, you need to be able to. You need to have a gas tank. Um, you need to have a certain level of max effort strength and a certain amount of speed. So you need to be training strength. You need to be training endurance in the right ways. Bodybuilding will not save you. Like if you're if you're doing traditional bodybuilding splits, like good luck to you trying to be able to uh, being able to fight. Yeah, um, you have to explode. Yeah, you're going to be stiff, you're going to be slow, you're going to have no, like, and hypertrophy isn't antithetical with getting strong and having a gas tank, you just have to do it the right way. This, I know this sounds like an anti-fragile fitness plug, it's not, but, you know, I can't talk about this and just be like, yeah, sure, go yeah, do it. Yeah, well, that's what makes your program effective and why people, sh- like, why men and women should be on it. Appreciate that, appreciate that. Um, but, and the reason I'm, like, the reason I'm saying this is like you're not if, if you think you can go follow like the Arnold quote unquote Arnold program that a you need steroids to be be effective in the first place mm-hmm. um, that you saw in bodybuilding.com board a magazine um, and think you're going to suddenly be able to fight I got bad news for you man um, so you need you need the fitness then you need to be able to um, practice martial arts consistently at a gym where there's no hard stupid hard sparring culture where you rack up brain damage before like you know you even potentially get into an altercation yeah so no, you want to find the box yeah shoot the, shoot the box you know be, be close yeah no like none of that <laughs> um muay thai uh muay thai gyms for the most part in america they're, they're tough to find good ones um, San Francisco has a deep Muay Thai lineage. That's the Muay Thai lineage I come from. Um, there are some great gyms in Arizona. There are some great gyms in Seattle, New York City. Uh, Miami has great Muay Thai scene, although they get a little they get a little stupid. It's like I, I've seen some videos of like hard sparring culture in Muay, in Muay Thai down in Miami. Like what are you doing? But great technique, great athletes, great people too, from what I can tell. Um, but. You need to find a, a, a gym that will teach you um, Muay Thai, not only in the context of the ring, but in the context of like real life application. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's like Muay Thai meets self-defense. Mm-hmm. I would not recommend like Krav Maga gyms. For the most part, there are good ones out there, but there are a lot of gyms like it kind of happened like happened to CrossFit. I'm like, we do Krav Maga here. I'm like, do you? But yeah, right. Do, but do you really? Do you? Like, um, Brazilian, a lot of people say, like, even Jocko says, like, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu first. I'm like, no. No, that doesn't make I any mean, sense. I mean, he's training with, like, yeah, but he's, like, training with Dean Lister. You know what I mean? Like, that is a <laughs> different animal. 
This yeah. isn't your neighborhood Gracie Baja butt studing like guard jumping guy. Like that's Dean fucking Lister. That's a different man. And he, Dean Lister, and, and credit to Dean Lister, he actually grew up in like some extremely impoverished, rough, like rough parts of I think it was like Venezuela or Central America. So Panama. like that guy Panama, understands yeah. how to turn his grappling system. Like he probably has self defense techniques that he teaches people, and that's probably why him and Jocko get along so well. But, like, that's not your average BJJ McDojo. It's not. It's not. And, you know, Dean Lister is, like, and I wrote this on Substack, too. Dean Lister is the reason why John Donahue got into leg locking. Like, the greatest yeah, exactly. leg locking coach ever. He's mm -hmm. like, why would you ignore 50% of the human body? Bingo. Um, but, yeah, so he, he, he does leg locking. He does takedowns. Um, he's a full-service... Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy. A lot of BJJ gyms are going to teach you how to what's called pull guard, which is basically you're going to be on your back with your legs up. You know, someone in, in, engaging into submission grappling. Now, fights can go to the ground. A lot of street fights do go to the ground, but every single street fight ever starts on the feet. Bingo. So, you need something that is what Donaher called effective for the shoot boxing class or uh, shoot boxing portion of mixed martial arts. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That means punches, kicks, knees, elbows, takedowns. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's everything from the feet and the transition from the feet to the ground. And if you're in the city getting into a street fight, you land a solid double leg takedown, you put them on their head, they're going to be knocked out. Exactly. You, land one, you, one, you land one swift... You ain't laid one slip, swift leg kick to someone's leg who hasn't trained to take leg kicks. They're going to be on the ground. Yeah, it their, cap, their cap's going to be dead. Exactly. It doesn't take much. But you still need to be practicing like three to four days a week at least mm -hmm. to be able to effectively do this. Um, I'm not saying jujitsu is obsolete. I, quite the opposite. I think jujitsu is incredible. Um, but judo and Muay Thai, I think if you want to be good for most scenarios, um, that's it. Because mm -hmm. you'll be able to, Muay Thai has a lot of clinching that a lot of people will mistake Muay Thai for kickboxing. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like stand-up grappling. So if someone gets a hold of you, you'll be able to like sweep them off their feet, mm -hmm. um, and make them hit their head. And then you can just, you know, grab, you know, you, if it's just you run and you, you get your family out of there, basically. Exactly. Um, and then, obviously, I, I think all people should be carrying a piece on them. Um, I don't right now, but I'm going to be carrying a piece on me soon. Mm -hmm. And when I get back to Texas, I'm going to be regularly training with long gun, um, handgun. I'm going to go back to training bladed combat. It's been a long time since I've done Malaysian Salat knife fighting. Mm -hmm. um, and Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu. So I'm going to be doing everything. Um, mm -hmm. But if really, if you like want basic self-defense habits, carry, carry a good karambit knife. Carry a... Uh, carry a gun and train Muay Thai slash Ju Muay Thai and or Judo. Really mm -hmm. Muay Thai and Judo or just Muay Thai. Mm -hmm. um, you know, three to four days a week and you're good. You're good. You have the protection part of it um, sort of signed, sealed and delivered. Then. It's mm -hmm. it's it's a matter, and the reason I, I read um, and folks, I, sh I should have mentioned as well, um, the, the piece that I read for the two quotes, the one by um, St. Joseph the Hesychast and the one by St. Paisios the Athenite. Before that was uh, from a text called Meditations on the Divine Liturgy by Nikolai Gogol. Um, and it was talked about that, it talked about the readiness of the deacon, the readiness of the priest. They're spiritually ready. And notice how since Christianity is 
both a faith of a faith of the spiritual world, you know, the world unseen, basically, and the world seen, the physical world. Um, we need to have readiness both in the spiritual and the physical world. We're actually quite literally called to that as men, but so many so many men are missing this for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just like you need spiritual readiness, spiritual readiness, you know, for those of you who are about Orthodox New Morning Prayers, may we be. Um, and we not be found fall on an idol, but watching an upright and activity, ready to accompany him into the joy, the joy in the divine palace of his glory, where there is a seer ready. You're always walking upright as a Christian from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep and you do your, your prayers before going to sleep. You're always ready. Being physically ready is no different. But the, the, the difference is, though, we're always ready for these situations by pretty pretty measured and controlled series of training, both physically, I mean, you know, because you're an anti-fragile athlete, but Mm -hmm. um, not only the physical readiness, but like the actual martial readiness. Mm -hmm. And that's something you need to carry with yourself at all times. Like the first and foremost is the faith. The first thing you're doing in the morning is the morning prayers. Mm -hmm. Um, You're putting on that armor of God, as it says in the Bible. But then the, the, the next thing down, like the next most important thing is just the physical survival. So that, mm-hmm. that next thing is that martial readiness. And I think a lot more guys need that martial mindset. And how would you describe that martial mindset? I think, like, when I think about that mentality, because um, I, I developed a martial mindset in the military, and this was before I even came to Islam, because at the time, my only real guiding rod was the Bushido philosophy. And the value that that brought to me was getting over my fear of death and so my martial mindset for me was that death could be waiting around any corner it could come to me at any moment and I needed to be prepared to basically fight tooth and nail till the very last breath and if I gave up my life in the process so be it but I wasn't just going to like fold over and give up Especially because, well, especially because with the military, there's always a teamwork dynamic. And so I always thought, it was like, well, realistically, I'm not going to be by myself. Even if it was just going off base to have a beer with the guys, it's like, I'm with the guys. I'm not going by myself. And so if I'm, any, if I'm in any situation, I'm almost always with someone else, whether it's my friends or my parents or some other family member, a girl that I was dating. And so I had to think to myself, I need to be prepared for the worst case scenario and and to have a martial mindset means being able to have full control of my body and my faculties. That means being able to stay calm under pressure. And um, to kind of tie back to what we were talking about, what modern men lack, situational awareness is the foundation for the physical, in my opinion. You can have the most jacked body in the world, and I don't even mean necessarily like being a bodybuilder. I mean, you could be like a like a functionally fit guy, like a martial artist or a power lifter or some type of explosive strong man. player. Yeah. yeah, like a strong man. You know, the, the type of guy that people look at is like, oh no, that guy is definitely go muscle. He's not a pushover. But if you're not aware of your surroundings, that's how you end up in that bad neighborhood. And it doesn't matter if you're a strong man getting stabbed is getting stabbed or if it's five guys on you at once it's like well i i there's no telling how many potentially life altering or life ending situations i've avoided so far in my life simply because 
I had situational awareness. I knew where the wrong side of the tracks were in each town or city that I lived in and not to go there. Um, and then also just reading the body language of certain individuals and thinking to myself, okay, I don't need to be going near that guy because he's uh, he, like, he's looking for a reason. He's looking for a reason to get all of his pent up rage out and I'm not going to be his dance partner. Yeah. Yeah, you need you need to I mean avoid the fight as much as you can. Like I'm not oh, saying yeah. like here, I can do Muay Thai now, so I'm gonna <laughs> check this out. No. Every time some not. guy says that when they start like popping up at the mouth of like I train this or I train that, all I think to myself is you're such a white belt. Yeah. Yeah, it's I do UFC, bro. Um, that that's 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 good like to me. Um, it's funny too. Like there are guys. I'm sure you've encountered this. There are guys who don't compete who are just like they don't compete at all, but they could and they could be like champions. Oh yeah, like, I've I've known a lot of guys like that where it's like, dude, like you. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you this one story. So when I got out of the army back in 2016, I moved to, to uh, Tyler, Texas, for a year, which is a one of the best cities in Texas, probably one of Texas's best kept secrets. And I really like it because the population is just under 100,000. But I was training at this MMA gym. It was a health, it was a Helsing Gracie Jiu Jitsu gym. And we trained everything judo, Muay Thai, boxing, Jiu Jitsu. And there were some animals in that gym. And there was this one uh, guy who was in his like mid or late 40s. And he was a white belt in BJJ. And by then, I was already a blue belt. And I had like a lot of like wrestling and uh, grappling experience in my belt so and I was in my late 20s so you would think that like I could have took this guy I shot in on him like the first time I ever grappled him I shot a blast double on him and he took his hands and stuck one hand between my legs and one over my shoulder and clasped, and clasped his hands together and he wasn't like a giant guy he was he's probably about six foot six one maybe 210 and I've ragdolled guys that size and bigger who didn't have like as much technique as me dude I couldn't move I could not move with him on top of me grabbing me like that and um, I mean he just completely shut me down and then after the round ended, I asked him I was like how do you I was like how are you that strong like what And he's like oh I'm a, I'm a calf rover and it's like that's why he like when, when people talk about like that farmer strength or like that good old boy strength it's a real thing like he had been just working with his hands his whole life roping calves probably steer wrestling and just like having to basically having to like wrestle livestock his whole life or you hear about these guys who grew up like wrestling uh hogs in the pen dude that is a different level of strength and like functional anti-fragile strength and those guys are hard men because they get kicked by cattle and horse all the time yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like those are the guys that you're talking about where it's like they're like the way that they're built is just like like they're literally built different. And like those guys could easily be world champion grapplers, strikers, martial artists, like you know, what they what they lack and like maybe the the finesse of the sport because they just have to put time in, they make up for it in different ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. We call them gym assassins. You know, yes. for those of you, those of you martial artists out there who compete, I know that you know a guy who you could say, "Oh, this guy is the best Muay Thai fighter you've never heard of." Yeah, that—that's <laughs> the guy. That's the Matt Enforcer. 
Yeah. The, <laughs> uh, he's got a family, probably. You know, his his wife. You know, he doesn't want to be a rack up brain damage. You know, because um, of the wife and kids. But if it came down to it, he could you could do the dad golf thing. Like and they always end up like those guys. Not only are like they're the most laid back dudes. Like they're never the guys that are running their mouths or starting fights. And they're also like some of like the most loyal friends that you can make too. Like I've never met one of those type of guys in the gym that didn't have like a good head on his shoulders. Absolutely, the, 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 absolutely. The, the fight team that I came from in San Francisco. You know, it was, like, you walked in there, it was a very, like, zen, I'm not zen, it's just, it's just like, very serene atmosphere, like, very open, elevated, um, and, but if you really took a look at all the guys in there, like, they, they could mess a lot of people up, like, that level of technique was high, mm-hmm. and the reason we never hearts were, the reason we didn't allow any kind of, like, beathead culture is because, like, what are you what are you doing we want the software of everyone to get better so like every mm-hmm. like if the, if the software of your training partner gets better that means your software is going to have to get better exactly and we're going to do this without damaging the hardware which is why we're not hard sparring all the time and racking up damage that means nothing mm-hmm. like oh man i got this gym war today like you're an idiot like don't you don't you have a fight coming up mm-hmm. yeah i'm like okay so let me get this straight you're going to spar 12 hard rounds three days a week when your fight is three rounds and so you're going to expect that that brain damage just isn't going to be there when it's at a higher frequency like that Mm -hmm. and so you're going to compromise your chin meaning for those of you who don't know the terminology your ability to be knocked out or not you know your ability to resist being knocked out you're going to compromise that in time that it doesn't matter you're an idiot right like you're actually an idiot um, and we were like, well, I just, I need to, I need to replicate the, 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 the atmosphere of a fight. Dude, you can replicate the atmosphere of a fight, like, mentally, with, like, very controlled, solid technical sparring. Like, they put you in a shark tank, you know, you got a fresh yeah. guy every minute, but it's still technical sparring. You're not, kick, you're not kicking the crap out of each other. Right. If you want physical intensity, get actual good conditioning. Exactly. Like, it's, it's also, that simple. Like, there, there's a type of pressure that guys who have trained martial arts long enough. So, for example, the guy that I was training Muay Thai under, this, and he's a crew that, I told you about this guy, his name's Billy Clark, and he's a six-time amateur world champion, and he is a bad motherfucker. One of the most laid-back guys I've ever met. He's got, like, that Thai mentality of just being super laid-back, very serene, because he has no ego. He knows what he is, and he doesn't have to want it. And I remember um, after he had like just crushed me in hard conditioning with like pad work and he had one of these uh, wall mounted, uh, it wasn't like a bag, it was like this, it was kind of like a punching bag but it had like targets on it. And he like, he broke me off with that, like what you were saying, like hard conditioning is what those guys really need if they want like the thing that just depletes the gas tank. And then after that I took a little rest break and he said, hey, you and I are going to spar but we're going we're gonna to play nice. And so what he meant by playing nice is like not making any hard contact, no like close fist shots. Dude, he didn't even touch me and he just used like his forward pressure to back me up. And like for guys who don't know, who have never trained with high level guys like that, there is this like pressure that fighters like that can put on you and you feel it without them touching you. And if you want to see that in action, just go watch Cain Velasquez fight people or Habib Nurmagomedov. You see the way that they just like literally suffocate guys just with that forward motion like a Terminator. And that's exactly what he did. But guess what? I walked away with like no physical damage. 
because that's what high the that's what real quality martial arts does for you and that's what happens when you are smart with choosing your instructors and another thing that i think that it, it, this seems to be more of a western mentality where guys feel that like if they didn't like basically batter their body in training they feel like they didn't do anything and that's so stupid and and i think the reason for that is there's a certain lack of what i like what i would call the martial spirit that they're lacking and i see that martial spirit in the more the more traditional arts like muay thai and judo kyokushin yeah yeah kyokushin karate yes exactly there's this martial spirit and like you said when you walk into the gym that has that martial spirit you feel it all the guys there they're laid back they're serene they're but calm, they're disciplined they're, they're sharp but they're but they're disciplined like you can look at them like their physiognomy the way they walk the way they carry themselves their gait their build it's like yeah those guys are killers like no one on the street no random person on the street is going to take this guy out one-on-one. -on -one. This guy would mock them, but these guys aren't bullies. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. And what's, what's, I remember, too, um, so we, we had we had no heart sparring. We had we had very, and that, that pressure, too, you're talking about, that, that's like, what it sounds like from what you're telling me, your coach is like a very high IQ muy mat. Oh, he and is. He's the, very cerebral. He's a very cerebral guy. And, and for for those of you who don't know what a Moy Mat is, Moy Mat's a pressure fighter. Now, for those of you who knew Rod Tang, like that's a very low IQ Moy Mat, because um, he will literally just give his face to you to kick it and just keep yelling at you. That's not gonna last long, you know. Rod Tang, we're gonna enjoy him while he lasts, because that's not gonna happen. For sure, forever. it's just it's yeah, just he, not. He's here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's he's made that pretty clear. Um, but like a real high IQ boy monster, a nightmare. And that was my that was my coach's style. And that was the style he wanted me to deploy. Um, but I remember this one day. Everyone's like you said, everyone's really chill. But like there was one instance where someone shouted from the front desk, "Hey, someone's trying to break into cars, like a car out front." And you you saw like everyone turn on. You saw like, about a oh, dozen man, heads turn with sharp eyes, and we all went sprinting through the door. And so it's like, you know, and, and I think that's another really great parallel with like being an Orthodox man, right? Um, you got, you have this laser focus that you need to apply towards the preparation for protection, meaning your martial training, um, your weights, just, just your level of discipline too throughout the day. If you're sauntering through the day, good luck to you. You're not sauntering through the day. Like have meaning through the day, have sets of, have a rigid discipline in place that's rigid enough that it will mold you accordingly, but also not so rigid that you, like, you crumble at like, oh, I didn't get to do this today. It's like, no, that completely defeats the purpose. That's fragile. Yeah. Um, but, um, and then the, the other parallel I was talking about was um, basically when you're, when, you're a, when you're a protector and a provider, right, so you have that that laser focus, that intensity um, with your work, you know, to provide for your family. But when we're not actually doing that, we're like pretty, we're, we're stoic, but we're laid back. And if you're not going to come at your, your wife and kids with the same energy that you had in the Muay Thai gym. You're just not. Um, or the same energy rather when you're training. Um, you're going to be more laid back. And that's, that's a man who's fully in control of himself. The guy who needs to be like a brute all the time isn't really in control of himself. Isn't no, really he's not. a he's master. Emotionally fragile. Yeah, 
He's a slave yeah. to his passions, literally. Yeah. And I remember back in the day, like, I was a bit mentally fragile in the sense of, like, I need to go hard at all times. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't, um, I need to be hard at all times. Because if I don't, then I might, I might not have it. And I just, I put my body through the, a lot of unnecessary damage. Likewise. That. Likewise. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I sacrificed my body in the army, and a lot of it was, like, completely unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to Collins Astro about this. I mean, I have, like, horror stories of just, like, mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't sleep for two days and drank three bangs, and then, you know, did, <laughs> <laughs> did a, did a, body, did a bodybuilding session and then a hard conditioning session. Oh, and it's oh, like, why am, I, why am I so tired? I don't get it. Like, dude. Almost every guy, almost every guy who does that, like it's just pure unbridled meat pedery, and then they hit like their, like they hit like their mid twenties, and then they're they wake up one day and it's like, oh my god, everything hurts. Yeah, yeah, and it actually, hurts differently. Funny enough, my body doesn't hurt too much. Like I'm actually, I'm really shocked about that to be honest. Well, well yeah, like now, now hey. most of my pain is gone, but it's because like you know I did the same thing you did, like when you talked about using your body as a guinea pig. Yeah, and so like I finally leveled my meatheadery out with actual like sports science and knowledge, thanks to guys like you and Alexander Cortez and other guys that figured things out and had a more cerebral mentality instead of just, you know, like I had a very like that kind of it's a meme, but it's like that kind of grug mentality of lift heavy things, sad voice and head go away. Like that was me in the army up until I was probably <laughs> about twenty five. Mm -hmm. And and then like my body just started like paying for it, like paying for like the damage of and like there were other things that I like when I say I sacrificed my body, I'm also talking like the burn pits, the post traumatic stress disorder, um, multiple concussions from training exercises, hard sparring and combatives. So um, you know like it all took a toll on me, and then it's just like oh man. But then I but then I started learning about testosterone levels and how like the different things that impact testosterone levels, like concussions and. Um, copious amounts of beer because I drink copious amounts of beer and then I was like oh man okay like I have to stop or my body's not gonna make it I'm gonna be one of these like just broken out of shape veterans that which there are too many of um, and so thankfully I was able to get on top of that in my late 20s and I've reversed a lot of damage that I that I thought would really be lingering with me until I died yeah they don't call it regenerative uh, nutrition for nothing Exactly. Um, it really is regenerative. Um, and yeah, I mean, for those of you listening, you know, take it from someone who used to be a bartender. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. Let's talk about that beer. Beer is so estrogenic. Dude, like, yeah, especially yeah, modern beer with all the phytoestrogens in it. Like, I don't know what method they used in older times to make beer because I know that was one thing that a lot of monks would do to help them with fasting. Yeah. We need to go, we need to go back to that standard and those ingredients. Because those, yeah. like, the older beer used to actually be healthy for men's testosterone levels, and it didn't have whatever modern beer has in it that causes men to look pregnant and have low testosterone levels and bitch tits and all these other horrible things. Like, all that, all that subcutaneous fat that just winds up around their waist. It's horrible. Yeah, it's... Forrest Munden talked about the same thing with like wine back in the day. Like wine yeah. used to like be it used to be made in a different way. That sort of like the way Spartans mm -hmm. talked about it actually gave them like some kind of power, basically. Yeah. Um. But yeah, 
beer is the same thing, guys. Dude, if you if you need to drink, do not drink beer. Okay. Um, put some hair on your chest and uh, you know drink drink hard alcohol. Um, which exactly. in particular, uh, what you know people in the pro metabolic world, the pro metabolic eating um, and and diet and all that. They would say vodka because it's distilled. Um, it's the most distilled spirit. Like you'll see bottles of a vodka, like Platinum 7, distilled seven times. The purest, clearest vodka. Mm-hmm. Um, as an aside, as a bartender, when I was making, when I was a craft cocktail bartender, I'd say, what spirit do you like? I like vodka. I'm like, that just tells me you like alcohol. Because whatever I mix with vodka, it's just going to taste like the thing I mixed it with. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, so that's a nice little... Nice little side there but vodka um and the agave spirits of mezcal and tequila um those are like probably the best for you mm-hmm. um since um whiskey's made from grain it's it's probably and rum is made from sugar um those are not as good for you gin it's hit or miss this is made from botanicals um Brandy is made from fruits, so not the end of the world. You know, you have pear brandies and such, but um, yeah, do not drink beer. It will lower your testosterone levels. And to be abundantly honest, the culture around beer is just so domesticated and feminized yeah. and like dreary. Yeah, yeah. It just it just causes you to. I wouldn't even call it relaxing. Just it causes you to mentally let yourself go because you can be relaxed and be sharp. But anyone who can, who's consumed beer knows that like it's it, it has a different way on your system. It's almost emasculating. Um, yeah, I mean it. It, it kind of it is to be abundantly honest. So mm-hmm. if we're talking about readiness, both spiritually, and I I I know some deacons and priests who would probably be like not not have a problem with me saying this, but would be upset that I'm saying this because their thing on Sundays, you know, after after liturgy, it's they have a right. beer. <laughs> um, but maybe make more like the Russians and drink. But I've seen I've seen <laughs> you can drink vodka after. Oh uh, yeah, that's what after we're liturgy. That my Roquefort church does. You just bust out the vodka at coffee hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean coffee hour is always like you know noon noonish, so right. more of like a brunch thing, so it's, <laughs> it's you know, it's service, it's, it makes sense, you know, it's not like drinking vodka on a Tuesday afternoon. Right. Um, what do you but, think about mead from, like, both from a fitness standpoint and with your experience as a bartender, what's your opinion on mead, uh, which is, like, fermented honey? There are so few meaderies out there to begin with so i don't know mm. what they're doing in production like let's say someone made their own meat from honey like yeah it should be fine still yeah and i know um all the meat i've tried has been from a couple of friends who homebrew their own concoctions yeah meads if, if it's home if it's homebrew it's it shouldn't be a problem at all um, there's no added estrogens or materials that mm. i mean i would just say use really really good quality honey um, like you use right. the the best honey you can find, like raw, um, raw, unfiltered, unheated honey. Like have that be the initial state of the honey before you uh, before you start making meat out of it. Basically, mm-hmm. um, it's a uh, yeah. There's there's a lot out there, guys. If you know, for the gentlemen listening. Um, 
that is meant to stack the deck against you in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm mm -hmm. in what would some people would call like the metaphysical or metapolitical sphere of things especially here in the west right? mm -hmm. I was on a podcast um, a, a podcast I actually really recommend um, called Discovering Masculinity uh, hosted by a guy named John Waltz he has the mm -hmm. same series of questions for every podcast for me, which I found really interesting because I've never seen anyone on the podcast uh, do that before and he had me, Ryan King, um, Will Spencer, Jonathan Rios, um, I forgot his, 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 his actual name, but uh, Masculine Mandate. Mm -hmm. um, and he's, his first question is like, what is the state of masculinity um, in the West? And I said, like, or he asked me, like, what does it mean to be a man? Because, like, especially asking in the West, it's a really complicated question right now. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I found, I. Just, I didn't discover masculinity by reading Jack Donovan or the Rational Male or any of this stuff, like any of the Manosphere stuff, or, or even like the more true masculine works that are being put out today, which I think are really important. Mm. Um, but I found my, my, a lot of things that I knew about being a man came from my dad. Um, my dad, you know, he's full-blooded Canarian. The family lived in Cuba for two years before communism hit. He narrowly escaped and went to Venezuela, and then he grew up in New York City when New York was still New York. Mm -hmm. Like, it was, this is, this is New York in the 1970s. This is, this is Son of Sam, blackouts, frequent stabbings, mafia versus typically, you know, black gangs, mm -hmm. New York. Uh, Puerto Rican gangs, New York. Um, so, and he's a self-made man. He took a startup public when he was 26, before startups were even a thing. Like, he's he lived the American dream. Mm -hmm. And so I learned a lot of things about being a man from him. Um, but a lot of the other places I learned to be a, be a man were from, like, reading general, reading about generals like Hannibal Barca and George Patton, and then later on, Musashi, um, and um, a lot of great writers. So it's like I pieced these things together by myself. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also, like, especially coming to orthodoxy, it's like, well, all of a sudden now, I'm gravitating towards a faith that is has a stronghold in a place of the world where masculinity has never been this crisis. Masculinity has never been a crisis in Eastern Europe. Masculinity has never been a crisis in the Middle East. It's just right. it was nothing that people had to think about too much. It just was. Exactly. And, and it is. And that's, you know... Yeah, I might get into some... some might tread into some difficult territory here. Right. People, it's, just, it's crazy that it's crazy that in modern Western civilization, it's necessary for the like for the average male to have books about masculinity and manhood as like a starting guide, like the books from Roland Mossy or David Data or Jack Donovan. And I'm not dunking on those guys at all because their books and also Jordan Peterson, like. Their books are helping mm -hmm. yeah. guys, but it's just crazy that society has gotten so bad that those books and those men are necessary as almost surrogate father figures. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly what they are. Um, and, you know, I started drawing from these places that, you know, these people, too, that are, like, were further east, and then it's like, 
okay, and I see masculinity there, and I see masculinity here, and I'm like, well, what happened? All right, so you got a bunch of things in the West, and the West, to, to its credit, hasn't really been the West since 1945, to be honest. Mm. World War II established America, it, it, that's when America actually stopped being America. And that's like a really difficult thing for people to wrap their heads around. The 1950s is like kind of like the last remnant of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the 60s is really when globalism was, uh, any of you who are familiar with Academic Agent, the boomer truth regime began, right? This is the regime, like the current regime that's at the, at the head of institutions that it ruined and wants to show that it's still like the rebellious anti-fascist, um, you know, hippie that, it, that they were back in 1968. Mm-hmm. Um, so America hasn't really been America, and since America rules over Europe indirectly, Europe hasn't, we- or really Western Europe, hasn't been Western Europe for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and meanwhile, the Eastern Bloc had to go through communism, and now they came out of that even stronger. That's like anti-fragility on a macro scale. They're even, they're even, they're doubling down on faith, they're doubling down on masculinity, they're doubling down on toughness, Mm -hmm. and they're rejecting the globalist West. Mm -hmm. And, and thank God. Um, But what is the globalist West? Well, what, what is plaguing you every single day? Well, spiritually, there's, there's an open attack on the church now. There's an open attack on biological truths of gender. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's just spiritually and literally physically. Um, but you as a man, like, you're domesticated, um, it, it's a double-edged sword, it's great that things are safe, especially for the wife and kids, but you aren't prepared if things go wrong. So, hey, mm-hmm. um, what we talked about before with martial arts, what we talked about with firearms, bladed combat, um, but then, you need to also be aware of all the things in your environment that are, are hell-bent on that are hellbent on you not being a man, mm-hmm. right? What are the things that psychologically domesticate you? Television, sports ball, mm-hmm. um, physiologically, microplastics. Pornography. Um, porno- pornography. That's oh, man, that might be the worst one, honestly. That, that, is, that is the worst. I mean, we all carry a portal to literal endless quantities of every genre that you could think of, and probably genres that you and I don't even know could think exist in our pockets every day. Yeah. Parents are babysitting their children with this. Yeah. That's why I feel bad about all the Zoomers. You know, like you're probably on the lower end of millennials as far as your age goes. And so, so some, um, some some people say I'm like the first year of Zoomer, and some people say I'm the last year of Millennials. Well, either way, I don't, I don't you're even old know. To remember the '90s, yeah, absolutely. You're old enough to remember the '90s, and back then, if you wanted to look at porn, you had to basically wait till you like if your if your dad was the type of guy to collect magazines, you had to like wait till he was out of the house and sneak into his room and find like his Playboy stash or go to the friend's house whose dad did that or rented videos from the adult video store. And so like there was like all this risk and planning involved. Now with the Zoomers and the subsequent generations under them, it's just right there. Like it's everywhere. You can't like you almost can't escape it. And and I don't mean like literal porn like Pornhub, but also just how pornographic um, women's wear has, has become and then also all of the overt sexuality being pushed in cartoons, 
and popular TV shows. Like, it's just like sex, sex, sex everywhere. This entire nation is obsessed with sex because it's free. And I saw this meme on, uh, I think it was on Twitter, and it, it was it was satire, but it was true. There's like a lot of satire rooted in truth. And it said something about um, men were uh, men were much stronger when breasts were harder to see. Yeah, no, that's that. that, that <laughs> I actually think about that quote like every week, honestly. All right. Um, and you know, when we talk about survival, too, like men back in the day physically made one misstep and they were dead, right? Yeah. Yeah. Today, you like, predator gets you, or like the enemy clubs you over the head. Today, you make one misstep psychologically, and you're dead. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, you could, you could, you have a phone. You could, you could, you, you, you could see whatever kind of girl you want. Yeah. And so one misstep and you're psychologically good. One misstep, you, you ruin a marriage. One misstep and you put your soul in chains. Exactly. So you need, like, you are at war and you don't even know it. And that's actually the harder kind of war. And that's another thing I talk about with John Waltz. It's like, we are in a culture war. We're in a psychological war that is trying to prevent you from everything that makes sense. Mm-hmm. From all, of, from literally all of God's truth to the fact that He even exists, to what is a man, to what is a woman, to you know there are only two genders, to all these things. And like, I, I've never wanted to be the guy who wanted to be the ranting right winger. Like, can you believe they're doing this? I'm like, yeah. Like my 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 dad used to say things like that. But mm-hmm. Arthur, Arthur, could you believe this? I'm like, yes, I can. Of course I can. Like I, he's like, but, but, and I'm like, that like. This is this has happened. This has been happening since the sixties. Like, you you lived through it. Like what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, but you were at a you were at a kind of war that I mean not to not to be like a Jocko quoter constantly, but there's a lot of influence on this podcast from Jocko's podcast. Mm-hmm. He talks about like life is counter. It's not war. It's counterinsurgency. Like you need to like we said before and like we said at the very beginning piece. You need to always be ready. There's no like oh I just need no. Nope. Nope. I just need my protein. No. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, that's that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with constant psychological and cultural threats that in the very beginning are pretty like, eh, it's not that big a deal. But downstream, like down the line, they, it's it's all consuming. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, you want to talk about killing people softly. This is how you do it. This is how you just slowly, like, I, I think the the analogy that always gets used is the slow boiling of a frog in water and he doesn't realize it until it's already boiling alive. And yeah. here we are. Here we are right now like the water is frothing around us. Yeah. Yeah. And but at the same time, you're also not called to fear. Like the exactly Bible literally that. says, do yeah. not fear um, 365 plus times. That's not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the amount of cross imagery in the Old Testament was not a coincidence either. Uh, yeah, oh um, yeah, absolutely. So, I think that's probably... I, unfortunately, so many people, all the ones that you see panicking and shitting the bed, whether it's on the left or the right, Democrat or Republic, conservative or liberal, they don't have that bedrock of faith that's that solid, um, either because they don't... Like they're not religious at all, so they're agnostic or atheist, or 
they're in a denomination that's very shallow, and so when it gets put to the test, it falters. Yeah. Yeah, that's if you don't have the true bedrock, you're not going to mm -mm. You you're can't, like, you don't have the full armor of God, like it says in Ephesians. No, no, you don't. And, you know, what's funny, too, and this, <laughs> I feel like I'm doing, like, all these accidental plugs, but, um, for any of you who are, like, reading Sleepless, the book I'm writing right now, like, which is literally my, you know, a big portion of my life and how I came to baptism, like, I was, I've been writing about this very recently, how, like, I was trying to hit training and bartending and all the, and discipline, all the things that I did, the same way I did while I was still an Orthodox Inquirer. So, I was, like, an Orthodox Inquirer 2018, I felt unstoppable, you know, in training and in bartending and everything. And I tried having that the same thing, you know, January of 2020. I just didn't have it because, and I didn't get it. I, I, but it was the faith that was the true bedrock that I was building on. And, but in 2020, I was just building the same. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that bedrock, you're not you're not going to be able to survive in this life, and you won't make it to the next one. Absolutely. I wish people would understand that that it's not it's not simply our physical bodies that are at risk, our souls are in peril if we don't pay attention and make up our minds to live the right way and that there is a right way to live, there's a right way to think and believe and say yes to certain things and say no to certain things and like again we're human and we're all wretched fallen creatures to varying degrees and so we're going to slip up however there's a difference between taking more steps forward than steps back or taking more steps back than steps forward and it's all about your sincerity and like what are you striving towards and I, you know I think a lot of these people they're not like they're just living on autopilot like when people talk about well there's so many NPCs around I mean they're not NPCs they have souls these are people whose salvation is hanging on a thread and they need to be saved, will they all be saved? Unfortunately not, because that's just the way things are. But it doesn't mean that we just, like I, I, I'm really glad you hit it on the head when you talked about all these, uh, you know, kind of edgelord type guys online where they're always like, no one's come to save you, save yourself. And like, yes, that that's true. Uh, especially if you're a grown man, you should absolutely be training to be as self-sufficient as possible because they're you know, there might be a day where only you are going to pull yourself over the proverbial or perhaps literal cliff. But if you are the type of guy who's going to bring a wife into your life and have kids, well, you're going to tell your five-year-old son to save himself. You're going to tell your 110-pound wife to save herself. No, you fucking moron. You have to be able to save them too. And guess what? That also extends to the people in your community because you can't be an island onto yourself. And neither can other people. There are there are other people that you know they might have a physical disability. Like it's just not that easy, and they need your help. Or maybe this guy is physically fit, but he's got some type of addiction that he's been struggling with, and he was in an environment where no one ever helped him out of it. And maybe, just maybe, you're the person who can shine a light on it and say, "Hey, I used to struggle with that addiction, and I can help you if you accept it." And maybe that guy will accept it. And then he becomes an ally to you when you're in your darkest hour and maybe you need a hand. Yeah. 
Yeah, become the kind of man that does that saves others. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 be this don't be this black pill doomer who doesn't stop talking about you know Mad Max doom scenario pornography. Yeah, that that nihilism stuff is for the birds, man. I I don't like that mentality because it goes it goes hand in hand with that like might makes right and all these guys like yeah you all really think you're just the biggest fucking chimp on the block. There's always a bigger chimp. All those all, all those guys typically don't have their lives squared away too. It's no. actually like it's a cop out because they're like, oh, it's doomed anyway. It's like the right-wing version of, like, you know, America is a terrible place anyway, so might as well hate it. Like, no, dude. Right. It's, 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 it's just two sides of the same coin, and they can't even see it. They're um, all, those, those are always the most fragile guys. Without a doubt. They don't look, they don't look fragile. Like, don't get me wrong. They don't look fragile. A lot of those guys are very well-built, and they look rough, and, you know, they're not the type of guy you want to pick a physical fight with, but when you want to talk about... Um, Fortitude, the mind. The the fort, the, yeah, the fortitude of the mind and the spirit. They're they're like, they're basically adolescents. Agreed. Agreed. And j- listeners, God calls you to be a man. If you're lady listeners, God calls you to be a woman. But um, God calls to be a man. Plain and simple. And that means being being a man of God. And that means being anti-fragile. Mm-hmm. Brother, this was a uh, this is awesome. I feel like we could have gone another two hours maybe we should i know this point. is one of the best conversations i've had in recent memory and i would even dare say it tops the last two podcasts i've been on with you so i really i agree appreciate this privilege i mean i always always love talking to you i always feel that whenever you and i get the time to sit down with each other and have these kind of enriching conversations i always walk away a much wiser man for it. i mean you're you're truly one of the best friends i've ever had in this life and I just want to say that it means a lot to me to be on this journey. Likewise, brother. Likewise. And to be, to both come to orthodoxy, you know, fully in the same year, you know, you and I were talking about orthodoxy first possible when you're requiring, you know, last May. Um, you know, to be where we're at now is glory to be our God, glory to be. Mm-hmm. Um, where can people find you? For those who don't know, who should know. And hey, when when are you when are you, when the hell is Sovereign Path starting back up, man? Uh, I'm not sure yet because, like, uh, like I said, I've got a lot of irons in the fire right now. So I'm focusing mm-hmm. a lot on falconry. I'm focusing a lot on wildland firefighting with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services. And then I'm also really putting a lot of focus in like the meat space. And what I mean by that is really just helping out the Orthodox community here in Oklahoma. It's very small, like. There, there are literally, there's probably four or five times more Orthodox Christians in the Chicago metropolitan area than there are in the entire state of Oklahoma. So we're very small. Like, everyone almost literally knows everybody here, which is great. Like, I love that because it makes it easier to network with people. And so I've been doing a lot of work just with the local churches, like especially the two churches that I attend. Um, but as far as where y'all can find me at, you can find me on Nature Pill. I mean, I'll be tagged in this in this post. So... I'm not too hard to find, um, and obviously, if you live in Oklahoma, it'd probably only be a matter of time if you run into me, especially if you're in the Orthodox community. Under that, all right, brother. God bless you and to all you listening. Good night. Good storms. Glory to the air, God. Glory to thee.